looking at our text this morning, I've divided our text into four parts. By the way, uh, the title of today's time and uh, the word is called, What Kind of Child? What Kind of Child? Now, most people, when they hear, would think of a title like that, they think of Jesus. And Jesus, of course, uh, is the whole story of the scriptures. It's been well said, history is his story. But what kind of child we're looking at today is, is Jesus' relative, John the Baptist. He also had a very special calling. And many people uh, in his day certainly were looking forward to the Messiah, but they didn't quite, uh, they didn't quite understand that Messiah would also have other elements, other important parts that would usher in his ministry. And John the Baptist, of course, would be a key part of this. So again, if you're taking notes this morning, we'll look at three things in the text this morning under this uh, message, what kind of child. First is his name, second is his covenant, and third is his ways. His name, his covenant, and his ways. Now we know in verse 57, now when Elizabeth's uh, full time had come for her to be delivered, she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard, I'm reading back now from the New King James, uh, the Lord had shown great mercy and they rejoiced with her. And everyone gathers together in verse 59, they all, everybody comes together, it would be the circumcision. And I've taken this first bit of text and even given kind of a alliteration for it as well. Now, this doesn't always work when I, certain parts of the Bible afford uh, for kind of deeper outline or deeper diagnosis or more detailed examination. Some parts of Scripture lend itself to that, some do not. This part really does, at least it does to me. Under this first section, his name, we'll look at three things, the assumption, the assignment, and the awe. The assumption, uh, the assignment, and the awe. Under his name, what do I mean by his name? Well, the name that would be given to Zacharias and Elizabeth's baby boy. So what takes place is everybody gathers together, friends, close friends and relatives, all the relatives and close friends. They gather on the eighth day. Remember Elizabeth, she was well advanced in age. She has a child. I mean, it's, it's a miracle in and of itself. Everyone's like, finally, God has found, he's given favor to you. And of course, God had already looked favorably upon Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were righteous before the Lord. But some people, even their relatives that will probably love them and like them, probably said behind their back, there's got to be something wrong there because God does not leave the womb barren to the faithful women. She's got, she's got some hidden sin. Not that everybody said that, but it certainly was looked at that. That was the way that it was looked upon uh, by many people that there was some displeasure from God if you were without child. But she had been given a child in, in advanced age, we don't know how old, but definitely old enough that everybody else would have thought, whoa, we would have never thought somebody could get pregnant at her age. But they gather, it's going to be a joyous day, finally God has brought them a child, much like Abraham and Sarah many, 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 many years before, they're gathered for this circumcision, and circumcision had begun with Abraham. You go back to Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were, we know how old they were, about 190 uh, years of age when Isaac is given to them miraculously. And circumcision was originally given to Abraham, and the instructions were given to Abraham back in the book of Genesis. And then circumcision was reconfirmed under Moses. But it was first given to Abraham, and then Moses reconfirmed it. Genesis 17 12 says this. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. This is well before the law, hundreds of years before the law, hundreds of years before Moses, God gives to Abraham, you shall circumcise every male of all generations on the eighth day. Now we actually know in modern science that the eighth day of circumcision actually is the best day for coagulation of the blood and everything else. And so these things, how did God know that? But anyway, these things, uh, these things to us today, we understand, wow, there's actually some medical benefit there as well. 
Now, this is reconfirmed by Moses in Leviticus 12, verse 3. So in Leviticus 12, 3, Moses reconfirms circumcision on the eighth day. Paul talks about this as well. He said he was a a Jew of Jew, uh, an Israelite of, of Israelites. He was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. That again, he was, in other words, Paul says, all of my beginning was done according to the law and according to the customs. I was circumcised, not just circumcised, but on the right, correct day, the eighth day. Circumcision was the sole condition of Jews being under the covenant that God made with Abraham. And again, obviously, this is a male thing, so it covered the whole household. Circumcision was the sole condition for the Abrahamic covenant for the nation of Israel. But it was a picture that the flesh must be removed to make room for the spiritual work to take place. That makes sense? The flesh has to be removed for the spiritual work to take place. Is that true for us too? The flesh must be removed for the spiritual work to take place. Paul reiterated this in Romans 2.29. He said, but he who is a Jew is one inwardly. Circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. There's actually, we could do an entire teaching on just this aspect. But Paul is saying, the circumcision of the heart is always what God was after. The original covenant was foreshadowing the perpetual covenant of the cross when Jesus would actually circumcise us in heart. Now, anyone that grew up or is familiar with the Jewish religious customs, if anyone here is from a Jewish family or grew up around Jewish families and you kind of are familiar, you would know that Jewish baby boys, even to this day in 2013, are still to be circumcised on the eighth day, even still. And this ceremony is known as the Brit Milah. You might have heard that word when I was reading from the Jewish Bible. Uh, it's commonly referred to a single word, the brie, right? You're familiar with that term? A brie. This is also the customary day that on the eighth day, not only is the circumcision in the Jewish custom and the Jewish families, but not only does the circumcision take place, but on the eighth day, the boy, baby boys are given their names. You have to wait a few days. What are you naming your son? You'll find out at the brie. Well, we're not able to make it. Well, then you won't find out until after the brie. Now, it's a big deal. They, everybody usually, uh, in, if, if it is a really, really practicing Jewish family, people alter their calendars to be there for the Brit Milah or a brie, even to this day. Uh, so that's a big deal. The, the, the customary uh, circumcision under the law, but also the naming of the baby boys as well. So the people, they gathered, there they are, all gathered around. Remember, nobody's heard Zachariah speak for months. He can't speak. Everyone realizes that God has touched him. Some people think that he had some incredible vision so great that he cannot even speak. Whatever reason, they know that God clearly did something there in the holy place that has prevented him from being able to speak. All the people gather around, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and then they they say to her, the child, they, uh, in verse 59, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. Sephardic Jews, even to this day, will sometimes do this. Ashkenazi Jews, this is not really the norm uh, on on the Ashkenazi Jews are, Uh, Much of the ones in Germany were Ashkenazi, Polish, that part of the world, Fiddler on the Roof, if you will. Uh, That area was Ashkenazi Jews. Then you have Sephardic Jews, like the ones in Spain and and from Africa and different parts. Uh, It was common for uh, Sephardic Jews to sometimes name the direct name of either the father or other close relatives. And apparently this was the case in Judea at this particular time and around John's family, that if you were going to have a baby boy, it would either inherit the name of dad or some other close relative. 
So it says that they all assumed that he would have the name of his father, Zacharias. Now this would be even a greater assumption given that they had not had children for many years. If God's finally going to give you a child, you only have one child. You have one bullet here. We better give him dad's name. And so that's everyone thought. It's like a foregone conclusion. We're all gathered together to watch the circumcision and to hear his new name, Zacharias. And his mother... Because his father can't speak. He can't speak. And his mother in verse 60 says, No, he shall be called John. Kind of forcefully. He shall be called John. And they all say to her, Woman, you've lost your mind. No, they say to her, There is none of your relatives called by the... What are you talking about? Where would you even come up with this name? Yochanan. No one has this name. Which is the Hebrew name, John. No one has this name. No one in your family has this name. Other people have, but not in your family. Why would you name him that? And certainly, you've overstepped your bounds. The patriarch of the house, please set her straight. Elizabeth's got something in her head that he's going to be called John. Zacharias, I know you can't speak. Put, put her in her place. He asked for a writing tablet. We see the assignment here, if you're taking notes. He asked for a writing tablet, and they all think he's going to write, Zacharias, Elizabeth, quiet woman. But he doesn't. He says, his name is John, exclamation point. She has it right. The angel Gabriel has already told me to call him John. You will name him John. Remember, Gabriel came to them in the holy place. The name didn't come from Gabriel. It came from who? God. God sent him to Zacharias. says, you go to Zacharias. He's in there. He's making incense for the people. Remember that prayer he prayed long ago that he would have a son. And he's going to have a son. But that's not what he thinks he's going to hear today. But tell him he's going to have a son and he must name him Yochanan. Or John. The assignment of John's name was from God. And he verifies this to all the relatives. Now they realize that Elizabeth and John, Elizabeth and Zacharias, who've always been on the same page, are still on the same page. Isn't that great? God wants you as husband and wife to be on the same page, that both of you hear from the Lord. Not one of you hearing from God and one of you hearing from yourself. Both of you hearing from the Lord. And she had spoken correctly, and he verifies that this name was given from God to him, just like Abram was given the name Abraham from God, just like Isaac was given the name Isaac from the Lord. God told them to name him Isaac, just like Jacob received from God the name Israel. God says, his name I have chosen, he will be called John. This name John, Ioannis in the Greek, Ioannis in the Greek and Yochanan in the Hebrew, all the same word, John, Ioannis, Yochanan, all the same name, means the same thing. What does it mean? It means Yahweh is gracious. Jehovah is gracious. Yahweh is a gracious giver. There's a couple of different meanings, but they all mean the same. Yahweh is a gracious giver. Yahweh is gracious. Jehovah is gracious. God is gracious, is what his name would mean. And not only had God been gracious to Zachariah and Elizabeth by giving them a son in their old age, but he would be gracious to Israel because this son would have a special role in the anointed ones coming. Amen? Elizabeth testified that when the Holy Spirit came upon her in the meeting with Mary that we looked at last week. Well, how do the people react to this? If you're taking notes, the awe here. Then fear came on all who dwelt. Uh, the, the Hebrew rendering says awestruck. If you heard when I was reading, they were awestruck. They were amazed because what takes place next is in verse 34, uh, 64. Immediately his mouth was opened. Not until John wrote on the tablet, his name is Yochanan. As soon as he finished writing, his tongue was loosed. And God says, now you can do that praise that you intended to do many months ago there in the temple. 
Now you can offer it up. Verbally. Not just in your mind, not just writing, but you can offer up the sound of praise, and we'll get to that in a moment, but the people, uh, seeing Zacharias begin to speak, and seeing what had taken place, and understanding Elizabeth's miracle, and understanding his name will be called John, when there's no one named John in the whole family, and the whole of the surrounding, not only the people that attended that day, but everyone said, we must keep an eye on this baby boy. His name means God is gracious. So remember, in the Hebrew culture, they understood the meaning of the name. They just didn't think Yukon, and they would, what does that mean? God is gracious. His father couldn't speak. His mother miraculously gets pregnant. His father is a Levite of the household of Aaron, of the Aaronic priesthood. What do all these things mean? They're like, domino, 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 put them all together. What happens when God touches them all? We must keep an eye. There's an awe here. The people wondered with amazement who this baby boy is and what is meant by the sequence of events bringing him into this world. You remember that the, the, the early, or the entrance of Moses' life is an amazing one, isn't it? All the baby boys were supposed to be killed. Moses is not killed. How many of you were stuck in the Nile River in a basket when you were born? Not many. How many were scooped up by an Egyptian princess and raised in the household of Pharaoh? Not many. There's certain men that God says they will be great. I've, de- I've designated greatness. Remember that even John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit would be upon him even in his mother's womb. Even in his mother's womb. The Holy Spirit would already be upon him. And the people wondered what would be taking place? Who would this be? His father and mother, everyone knew that they were faithful servants of God, yet they're still well advanced in age, and here they are, uh, and God brings them a child. Remember that the lot, even the, even the mystery of the fact that the lot fell on Zacharias to go into the holy place on that particular day. They had to cast lots, and the lot fell on him, that he would be the one to offer the incense, and the prayer for Israel. And here after this long period of time of being mute, he finally can speak. And all of these things, the people say, these can't all be coincidental. He will be a mighty man after God. Would he someday be the high priest of Israel? Some might would ask. That would be considered a great thing to attain, that he would, this little boy, remember his dad was in the priesthood, one of the 24 divisions, the division of um, Abijah, that he would be one, could he be one of the high priests of Israel? Would he someday wear, remember we looked at the high priest robe, that beautiful blue, would he someday wear that? Would he be a high priest? Would he be one of the, like one of the prophets in the Old Testament? that God would do great signs and wonders through him? Would God be giving him some kind of miracles that he would do? Certainly being a descendant of the Levites and of Aaron, uh, he was in a special family, but his name means God is gracious. Would some gracious work of God take place under him? People wondered. No one knew what would take place. Would he be used to bring deliverance from Rome? What would be the purpose of this young boy's life? All of their questions held merit. They all held merit. They asked that question. What kind of child will this be? And we know, as it says there in the text, verse 66, the hand of the Lord was upon him. A valid question. But God's mighty hand would be upon him. Is God's hand upon you? Do you sense the presence of God's hand on your life? You know, John the Baptist has a special purpose, but not because he is special. He's a sinner saved by grace, just like you and I. You and I become special because of the hand of God on us, not the other way around. Not because we are special, we get the hand of God, but because the hand of God is on us, we become special to him. Though we shouldn't be thinking of ourselves as special, quite the opposite. Scripture says to think of yourself lower Let God do a special work as his hand is upon us. Let's look at the next section here. Oh, by the way, it's worth noting their question. How great would he be? Who would he be? 
you know what Jesus had to say about him. Luke chapter 7, we'll get there a few chapters from now. Luke chapter 7, verse 28. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Well, that's pretty definitive. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, of all men born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. That's quite a testament, isn't it? This is how great he would be used by the Lord. Let's take a look at what comes uh, next here with Zacharias' prophecy, uh, his covenant, if you're taking notes, his covenant. And we'll look at three things here as well, the prophecy, the promise, and the purpose under his covenant, the prophecy, the promise, and the purpose. Now, as soon as his tongue is loosed, as soon as he's able to speak, he bursts forth into praise. Look at verse 67. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Ruach HaKodesh in the Hebrew, filled with the Holy Spirit. Unable to speak and mute for months. These appear to be his very first words. And he begins to praise the Lord. That should be, you know, when God has done something great in our life, it should be a natural response to praise, shouldn't it? That's what the Holy Spirit will compel us to do. Uh, One thing we must learn as believers is even when things are not going well, and that's a lot of times in life, isn't it? Even things when are not going well, um, even when everything that we thought would go this way doesn't, it actually goes a different direction. Even when things are difficult, we have to learn to praise anyway. Deliverance comes through praising God. It doesn't mean that everything goes away, that any trials, tribulations, difficulty, but when we learn to praise God, not only when He does something great like gives us our speech back, does something great like gives us a son that we've prayed for for many, many years and we finally have one, but in all situations, learning to praise is the response of being what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always push us to praise the name of the Lord. Our flesh will push us not to praise the name of the Lord. Our flesh will push us to whine, to complain, to not praise at all, to feel sorry for ourselves, and God has forgotten us, or all of these different emotions that are lies from Satan. But if the Holy Spirit's involved, he'll say praise. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God, your Father. Amen? Everything? All things? Everything. The filling of the Holy Spirit, if this church is filled with the Holy Spirit, will be a place of praise. If we're filled individually, it will be a place of praise. The prophecy, Luke's chapter 1 narrative which we've been in here, all the way up through here, verse 80. This narrative of the nativity, which goes all the way through chapter 2 as well. Zachar- uh, in, in, in Luke's narrative, every time, each and every time, and we've seen it a couple of different times, every time someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, they are directed by the Spirit to either praise, give thanks, or proclaim God's Word. Every time. Luke's narrative, praise, give thanks, or proclaim God's word. There's nothing that's more music to God's ears than when you do those three things. Praise his name, give thanks, proclaim his word. Either proclaim it back to him in prayer or proclaim it to other people. Praise his name, give thanks. God loves to hear that. He'll look favorably on that. Peace will come down from heaven into your heart when we do that. The filling of the Holy Spirit, though, whenever the Holy Spirit fills a man or fills a woman, the filling of the Holy Spirit often results in the Scriptures, throughout the Scriptures, it often results in the prophetic Word of God being spoken. Sometimes prophetic in the sense of something that nobody's ever heard before, such as God would give to a prophet like Moses or Daniel, right? 
Sometimes the prophecy is something that no one has ever heard. But most often, the prophetic word is for us to re-speak what God has already spoken. And this is, a, in essence, what Zacharias does. He does prophesy, but he speaks forth what is written in the Tanakh. In other words, what the prophets of old had already said must and will take place. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we believe the Word of God. Amen? We believe the Word of God. John the Apostle, approximately a hundred times, uses the word believe. Believe. If you really believe the Word of God, you'll proclaim the Word of God. And the filling of the Holy Spirit makes us so sure that it's true and so amazed that it's true that we can't help but to speak it. We see the same thing happen to Mary. She just burst into the magnificent. This is called the Benedictus or the benediction. It's a prayer praise that takes place at the end of this nine months of waiting for their son to be born. The filling of the Holy Spirit brings prophecy. It brings the teaching of God's Word. If if any pastor wants to be used by God, any person wants to be used by God, just start proclaiming His Word. And you'll prophesy because there's power in the Word of God. Much more power in me presenting the Word of God than me giving you many wonderful stories. Although they're fun to hear, and I use them sometimes too, it's the Word of God that has power. Let's look at the next thing that takes place. And as he begins to prophesy, as he begins to praise the Lord, as he begins to offer these great words of thanksgiving to God, blessed is the Lord God of Israel. He has visited and redeemed his people. We see the promise. Verse 69, he has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He spoke as he spoke, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, say, John, Zechariah is saying, the things that I know are written in the Tanakh, in the Old Testament. The things that are written by the holy prophets who have been since the world began. The thing that we should be saved from our enemies in the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised, promised our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Do you notice how much he references, he references David there, Abraham there, the holy prophets of, he's saying, and all of the Tanakh, all of the Old Testament, all of the old Hebrew scriptures, God made a promise, he made a covenant that he would send the horn of salvation from the house of David. You know what's cool about this? Again, true praise comes from true faith. Him and Elizabeth absolutely believed this. They didn't know when it would happen. Some people absolutely believe, some Christians absolutely believe that Jesus could come back at any moment. Others don't think so. Or don't want so. Right? He absolutely believed that Messiah was coming. He absolutely believed that the way was being, the door was being opened for Messiah to come. And all the prophecies concerning Messiah. He recognized by what? Angel Gabriel, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures being enlightened and opened to his eyes. He recognized by the filling of the Holy Spirit that Messiah was about to be fulfilled according to the promise given to the ancient men of God, and it was about to take place. Everything that he'd heard from a child, everything he believed was about to happen. Messiah was coming, and it would happen in his lifetime. What would be the purpose of these things? What's the purpose of Messiah coming? Look at verse 74. To grant us, us collective, himself, Elizabeth, their relatives, the whole nation of Israel, and by the way, you and me, to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies, 
physical enemies in Israel's time, but more important, our spiritual enemy is who? Satan himself, the king of darkness, to be delivered. Paul speaks of this in Acts, that, that he would be sent to deliver men and women from darkness, from the ruler of this age, be delivered from the hand of our enemies, that what? Look at verse 74. Why? That we might serve him without fear. Without fear. To serve God without fear. Without fear of Satan, without fear of death, without fear of sin. It goes on in verse 75. In holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. This would be the purpose. That God was coming. I have, written in my, I have this underlined in my Bible, and this is what I have written right beside it in my Bible. My prayer for my life and all saints. I'm going to reread it and see. Pray this prayer, even this week if you want. Just take this text and pray it. To grant us that being delivered from the hand of our enemies, we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days, all the days of our life. Not for 10 years and then backslide and never come back to church. All the days of our life. Amen? Zacharias knew that when Messiah would come, all those that he would gather in would follow him to the end of the age, taking up the cross and following him, that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verses 10 and verse 13. Listen to what Paul writes. That you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of His Son and His love. Same concept. Same Holy Spirit. Same message that God wants us to be serving Him all the days of our life. And He'll do the work. Andrew Murray said, God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life, holy yielded to him. God is ready to assume full responsibility for the life wholly yielded to him. If we fully yield to him, we will serve him without fear of the enemy, without fear of death, without fear of sickness, without fear of what if we lose everything, without fear if God says, I want you to leave, hey Abraham, I want you to leave Ur and go to a new place. Where? I'll tell you when you get there. Uh, God, I, I don't really do that unless you tell me the exact itinerary. I, I need to know exactly the city, exact, how much my salary will be, what the benefits are, when I hit retirement age. This is the American dream. This isn't God's way. I'm not saying that that is wrong or sin, but God may have a different plan for you. The one plan that's the same is that you'd be delivered from the enemy and you'd serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of your life. Let's look at the last section here this morning, his ways. His ways. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. What child would this be? This is speaking of John here. This is not speaking of Jesus. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest. Jesus is the highest. John is the prophet of the highest. Jesus actually would be the prophet, like unto Moses. John is the prophet of the highest. For you will go before the face of the Lord, before him, to prepare his ways. It's always about God's ways, isn't it? I hate to tell you this, but God doesn't care about your way and my way. He does not care about our opinion. He really doesn't. He still loves you in spite of our flawed opinions, but he will brush it aside and make sure you understand his ways. Amen? His ways are not our ways, the scriptures say, right? Neither are our thoughts his thoughts. His ways are higher. He has a way that he wants you to walk. He has a specific path for your life. He has a specific, uh, specific path for my life. He had one for John. He had one for Zacharias. He had one for John the or He had one for... Uh, Mary, each and every person, he has a very specific plan, a path, a way that they will walk. Now, he still wants us to walk in the same way, obedience, trust, faith, 
a willingness to yield to the Lord. But then the path will be different. John the Baptist certainly had a different ministry than I'll ever have. Certainly a different ministry than anyone's ever had. Just like Mary would only be the only virgin birth ever, John would be the only one to go before the Lord in this specific way, to prepare the way of the Lord. And so we find out here, under his ways, if you're taking notes, we'll look briefly, very briefly at four things. The prophet, the propitiation, the peace, and the preparation. The prophet, the propitiation, the peace, and the preparation. By the way, I did not wake up the word propitiation. It's a real word. Some of you know that. You've read it in the Bible. It's actually, I think, four times it's in the New Testament. Um, or... It's, I think it's four times in the Bible, maybe not just the New Testament. But again, the word is in Scripture, so I didn't have to... But it works perfectly for my outline. But nevertheless, the word, we'll get to that in a second. But the first here, in verse 76, he will be called the prophet of the highest. Prophet of the highest. Prophets, who, who are prophets? And what do prophets do? In all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation... Who are they? What do they do? Now, in some sense, all of us have a prophetic role. You're all supposed to proclaim the scriptures. Dads to your kids, moms to your kids, single person to your unsaved friends or neighbors. You're all supposed to proclaim the scriptures to the world around you, both the lost world and the saved world. You're here this morning. I'm proclaiming the scriptures to what I believe most of you, if not all of you, are born again. I'm proclaiming, I'm prophesying, preaching the scriptures to predominantly brothers and sisters in Christ. When I go out of this building and go elsewhere, I still will do the same thing, albeit under a different angle sometime as the Lord leads. It still is prophesying or proclaiming the scriptures. So in that respect, we all do the work of a prophet. But not everyone is called to be a prophet. A prophet although we all do some work. Timothy was not given the, the role, or he was not an evangelist per se, but Paul said, do the work of an evangelist. And other people, like Billy Graham, have the gift of evangelism, but we're all called to do the work of evangelism. But some people are given the spiritual gifting. Some people are given the God-given title or mantle of prophet. John was given the mantle of prophet. Remember when Elijah went up into heaven in a fiery chariot, he left his mantle behind, and who picked it up? Elisha took the mantle. Why? Because the mantle or the calling or the name or the title or the anointing of prophet is not given to every single person, although all of us are supposed to prophesy or share the Word of God. Now, some people are given even prophetic utterances where God shows them something that will take place in the future, which is the unknown. All the scripture is from God, and it was previously unknown until God said it. And then God can also reveal other unknowns or prophetic things to men of God. But prophets, those that had the anointing or calling to be prophets, a little different than pastor. Um, the majority of the work of a pastor is to build up and edify the saints for the work of ministry. A prophet is just to come and speak forth. A lot of times the prophets start like this. Thus saith the Lord. You've seen that a lot in the Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord. It's usually an unflinching ministry of, wow, that seemed to hit me between the eyes. That's generally, if you read about the prophets, they would say things, they don't sugarcoat it, they didn't have time to build you up. It was to hit squarely between the eyes and bring repentance. And John would end up preaching a message of what? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. John wasn't going to have a long life. He didn't have a lot of time to give a simple message, which was get right with God before it's too late. Amen? That would be his ministry. That's the ministry of a prophet, is just to simply say, thus saith the Lord. And it, repentance is always involved in a, in a true prophet ministry. If someone is called to be a prophet, they will have to preach 
this message. But a man who is a prophet, and in the Old Testament, as well as the New, men that were filled with the Spirit of God, they had God's authority and command, and they gave words of great weight that always urged the salvation and repentance of men. That's what a prophet was. Hosea 12, 13 says this, By a prophet, the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. Who was the prophet? Moses. What did Moses do? Pharaoh, let God's people go or else. Didn't he? These plagues will come. These plagues will come. These plagues will come. I don't believe you. I don't care. I don't believe you. I don't care. I don't believe you. Pharaoh, last one, your son will die. I don't believe that. And that delivered Israel, didn't it? When God, the angel of death, came, the prophet, according to Hosea 12, 13, said, a prophet led Israel out of Egypt. Jeremiah 7, 25, it says, since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt, until this day, I have even sent to you all my servants, the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. What were the prophets constantly telling Israel to do? Repent, repent, repent. Come back to the Lord, come back to the Lord, come back to the Lord, or else. That's the, that's the ministry of a prophet. This is different, again, than the ministry of the priesthood. It's not, again, it's not to say that, that priests and pastors, elders, evangelists, it's not to say that we have a, it's not to say that we never do that same ministry. Any priest worth his salt, any pastor worth his salt, any um, any elder, any evangelist, all of those other roles all preach repentance too. But a prophet has a singleness of focus, just a singleness of focus. Thus saith the Lord, come back, come, repent. And this would be John's ministry, a prophet of the Most High. He would be proclaiming to give knowledge of the salvation of, of his sins. He'd be proclaiming the way of the Lord, to prepare the way of the Lord. And that would be John's whole ministry. Make way. Make way in your hearts. Because the Messiah, your king is coming. You're going to need to bow before him. You're going to need to repent. And many did. You remember John would go on to baptize many people. Many people would repent. Many people would turn from their sins and give their lives to the Lord. Interesting, though, if you're Zacharias and Elizabeth. I don't know how much God revealed to them. We, we don't know how much God showed them. God showed them several things that were, that were enough to, for them to burst forth into praise. They knew that their son would play a role in making the way for Mary's son. And they knew Mary's son was the Messiah. Remember, Elizabeth knew it. My, the babe in me leaped. How is it that my Lord, she's speaking of Mary's baby. She says, how is it that my Lord comes to me? She, the Holy Spirit had already told her, Mary's child is the Savior of the world. Your child, the relative, we don't know the exact way they're relatives, but the rel your son will make the way for her son. But her son will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Your son kind of lays down the carpet for him to walk on. You ever been to a wedding and there's those people that they grab two ends of the carpet and they roll it out? That's John's role. He rolls out the carpet for Jesus to walk on it. Right? Your son will be the carpet bearer. Jesus will be the one to walk on it. And so they understood that, but we don't know all the things they understood. One thing about both John's ministry and Jesus' ministry, neither ministry would make it past 33 years. And you wait all these years... I don't know what God revealed them, but by the way, your son's going to die in his early 30s. That'll be his ministry. They had lived a long life, hadn't they? They got to live a very long life. They had to endure all those years of never having a child. And then when they do have a child, I don't know what God revealed. Maybe God didn't spare them. Maybe he spared them that. They didn't know. I don't know. They knew he would have a great ministry. They knew he had a specific calling. But what they didn't know... I don't know, and you don't know. What, what if God didn't tell them several things? By the way, Zacharias, your son's not going into the priesthood. What? Mm-mm. He won't be eating the showbread. He'll be eating locust and honey. 
He's not going to live to be 90. He's going to die in his early 30s. Oh, and by the way, he's going to be beheaded. Think about the ministry of a prophet. Many of the prophets died martyrs' deaths. Many of the prophets were persecuted. They wandered about destitute. People hate prophets. Do you understand that? The world hates prophets. Why? Because prophets bring the whole counsel of God, and the whole counsel of God convicts people of sin, and people don't like to be convicted of sin. So the rejoicing was in the moment, but if God pulls back the curtain and says, have a lot of faith because this ain't going to be easy for him. But don't worry, I'll give him the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what's the other really cool thing? I was, I've been meditating a lot about all of this. John the Baptist would be given this ministry. He'd go out in the desert. Much of his training would take place. He'd grow up portions of the time. We don't even know what all this means. How much was he in the desert? A lot. But when did that start? That started at the age of 13. Did it start at 16? Did it start at 17? We don't know. But much of his life was in the desert eating locusts and honey. You know what's great about God? You probably and I probably wouldn't want a diet of locusts and honey. But here's the thing. If God made it taste like T-bone steak, would you be okay with it? John was. He would be. If everything you do is to find peace anyway, what if God says, I'll give it to you, but it's going to be in the absolute opposite form of what you expect it to be in? Everyone else, oh, locusts and honey, John, they taste great. Love them. Liked them since I was a kid. Why? I don't know. It tastes like ice cream to me. I can't describe. I love the taste of what God gives me. Right? Would you allow God to change you, or are you always trying to change the circumstances? The prophet, John, would say, he must increase, but I must decrease. I'm going to have to get out of the way. We're both going to die at a young age, before the age of 33, or in that realm, because we don't know exact age when John dies, but it's somewhere in that a little bit before Jesus died, he loses his life. But I'm going to get out of the way so he can be lifted up. Last three points. The propitiation, verses 77, 78. This prophet will give knowledge of salvation to the people by the remission of sins, but not through himself, look at verse 78, through the tender mercy of God, which the day spring am on high. John didn't come from on high. John has a beginning like you and I. Only Jesus has no beginning. He comes from on high. You and I, I, I began to exist in 19, well, technically in 68, but in 1969, right? But Jesus has no beginning and he has no end. He visited from on high. But John would tell everybody about the visitation. Here's the one that coming who has no beginning and he has no end. He would be called the dayspring or the sunrise and he would offer what? Salvation and the remission of sins. You can believe in John all day long and not be saved. You need the one of which John speaks of. Amen? You need the Lamb of God that John would say, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I told you the word was in there. <laughs> the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. The satisfaction for our sins. The one who could satisfy the debt for our sins that we could not pay. John would say, he can pay your debt. Otherwise, you're in trouble for all eternity. But if he pays it, you're in blessed, glorious peace for all eternity. That's the transaction. This day spring, Anatole in the... In the, um, in the Greek picture of a, uh, the sun rising. The Hebrew just says uh, the sunrise. Speaks, uh, really kind of takes us back to the 400 years before this silence is broken, back to Malachi 4.2. But to you who fear the name, the sun of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. S-U-N, the sun of righteousness will arise and healing in his wings. That was the last chapter of the Tanakh of the Old Testament, then 400 years of silence, and then John 
um, of course, Zacharias is the one uh, praising here, but Zacharias knows that his son will preach of the son of righteousness, the one who can, all, the only one that can heal. And then in verse 79, the peace, to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death. That's, by the way, the whole world. Everybody. Although the light would dawn in Galilee. Uh, light and all those sitting in darkness to guide our feet into the way of peace. Ephesians 2.15, he himself is our peace. He has made both one, has broken down the middle wall of separation. Jesus is the peace. Book of Isaiah, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He himself would be the way of peace, the only way of peace. And then finally in verse 80, so the child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the desert till the days of his manifestation to Israel. You know, God's preparation ground is not always what the parents would want, what you would want, what I would want, but it'll be perfect, won't it? It's preparation. If we would simply just say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, I obey you, Lord, yes. His preparation. You know, I've been, I was, this week I was reading some quotes from... Uh, you know, Corrie ten Boone, those of you that know that, you know, Corrie ten Boone died, uh, well, she died as an older lady, but she was in the Nazi concentration camps. And interestingly, that God would use a place like that as her training ground to give her a platform to speak to the whole world. We don't like the deserts, do we? We don't like the odd places that God puts us in. We don't like the odd situations or difficult situations or sometimes very uncomfortable situations. But all of that would be useful because in John's life, he would become strong in that place, wouldn't he? In the spirit. We have a lot of spiritual softies in the church. Not strong. And not strong, why? Because John, the child grew. He, 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 when I was a child, I, put away, I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things, the scriptures say. John had to put away the childish things. At some point, he became strong in the what? Spirit. Some men in the church don't walk in the spirit, therefore they have no strength. Not, sp- not spiritual strength, anyway. Oh, yeah, they're in the gym. They're ripped. They put in another 10K. They've done all kinds of amazing things physically, and spiritually they're as soft and weak as can be. And then you've got a guy like Pastor Saeed in in an Iranian prison who probably has very little physical strength but is strong in spirit. John became strong in spirit until the days of his manifestation, until the day of what God is going to do with us next. We must be getting strong for that time. Amen? All of these things go back to his ways, right? His ways. We need to accept them and even give praise in them. Amen?